And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, the world traveler, Uncle Gene, serial killer, back from fittings. Boys, you know, I used to ask you how you were doing, but I received an email uh, about a month ago from somebody who said, and I quote, I'd rather get a lobotomy than listen to you blank talk about how you're doing. So I try to get to the point now, but I really don't care what, what people think because Uncle Gene is back from Scotland. Some time with the RNA, big time. Is this, the, is this a yearly trip for you, Uncle Gene? Yes, I've been going for 18 years. And so the RNA has two of my robots. They use one for conformance ball testing and one for research and development. And they've been busy. I'm sure they have. <laughs> the how was the trip overall? Like, what, what are you going over there to do each year? Um, it, it's kind of a combination. Uh, one is to check on the machines, make sure that they're operating correctly and efficiently. The second is to discuss um, kind of what they're currently testing um, and to be able to offer any sort of suggestions um, as to how they can test more efficiently um, or more productively and just kind of get feedback on what they're using the machines for um, and what, uh, what their kind of future test goals are and to be able to provide uh, guidance for that. Are they doing any golf ball testing? So not going <laughs> to, yes. so there's a little bit of a client confidentiality there, but, uh, let's just say that, um, they're listeners of the pod and, uh, they, they were well acquainted with my position. And the, the thing that I love about the British and I, I am definitely an Anglophile in, in this regard is the British, Americans, when you disagree, and I'll throw in a couple of Canadians in this uh, same uh, <laughs> same same bucket, but um, you know, Americans have a tendency of taking things personally. If you disagree, like it's a rejection of them, you know, on a personal level. Whereas the British love a hearty and robust debate. And even though you agree to disagree, you're like Labradors after a fight, you just walk away and everybody's back to wagging their tails and sniffing at each other. And so, um, we, we had some really interesting conversations in regard, you know, and, and, and number one, I mean, I, I didn't learn anything there. They've just finished kind of the the, the research and the disclosure period as far as the ball rollback. So what they are going to do, I have no idea. But they did raise some interesting points just kind of on a philosophical level as to why they're looking at this. And number one, um, you know, they're looking at the data. They are constantly recording data of younger players. And Chris, you know this, and you see this in a fitting environment – there's a lot of kids coming up that have a buck 25, buck 30 club head speed. And they are, they're concerned about this. And, you know, one of the things that they told me is they're concerned about it, not necessarily right now, but for 10 and 15 years in the future. And, you know, it was a fair point. And the second point that they raised, which is another fair point, 
is they're concerned about the ecological footprint of a golf course. And if people are swinging at 125, 130, you're going to have to start building bigger golf courses. And, and especially in this day and age, being concerned about resources, they, they're, they're concerned about that. So, you know, they were explaining to me why, you know, they're looking at what they're looking at. I, you know, my counter, which I, I still believe, but I, in full disclosure could be totally wrong. I still believe that someone like Bryson is the outlier, not the norm. And I think that there are all these young players that are chasing this club head speed, but I've yet to see one break through and be really dominant you know, in regard to it, I think they all have the ability to swing this fast, but I don't think they have the ability to control it. And so I think it's, it's self-regulating, but, uh, I, 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 you know, my, my point about growing out the rough to, to deal with, um, you know, distance, one of the interesting counterpoints that they raised was that, uh, and this is the PGA and the European tour they simply don't have the control over the golf courses that uh, I assume that they did. And they only have the golf courses for a limited amount of time. And so therefore the ability to change the golf courses that radically in a short period of time. I don't just believe not that. Real. I don't believe that it, at all. It, 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 they, they raised it and you know, I, 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 I listened to it and I found it interesting. I mean, I, I, I think the greater thing is I think their points are valid I just, you know, I'm kind of of the, if it's not broke, don't fix it, um, camp obviously, but you know, they, they were things to think about. Gene's trying to play. So he's trying to sit on the middle of the fence right here. Stumbling over words. He's trying to, he's trying to be diplomatic right here. I'm still, I'm still not in favor of a rollback, but you know, when, okay. I just when, wanted to be clear there. No, uh, but we're starting when, to walk when, it back a little bit. No, but when someone raises points that you have to think about, you know, you, I mean, everything in life is nuanced. It, it, it's like, we're so dogmatic about either or, but you know, they raised some fair points and I had to listen to those and think about them. And once I thought about them, I thought, okay, I mean, they are the governing bodies of the sport and they are their task with, you know, kind of preserving the game moving forward. And if you're looking at it on a 10 or 15 year timeline, yeah, some of these potential, um, data points are troubling. I, 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 I think to be honest that we should be looking at like neuroscientists and figuring out if, you know, we'd simply as humans have the ability to, you know, react and control an object swinging that fast. If, you know, our evolution and our brains have those capabilities, I intuitively don't think so, but I, you know, that's way beyond my pay grade to, you know, to know, but I think that's where the area of exploration should be. Is this possible that someone can control a driver consistently at 135 miles an hour club head speed? And if they can, based on current, you know, club heads, then, you know, and, and if, if, if someone like Bryson is, you know, they, everybody raises these points of these, you know, especially younger players that have this ability, but I've just yet to see them break through and start dominating because it's, it's real simple. If, if you're hitting over 50% of fairways and not completely losing it on the rest of them, and you're swinging 135 miles an hour at club head speed, man, you know, 
and you have even a medium short game, you're really going to dominate the out on, you know, any given tour just simply due to your distance advantage. I just haven't seen data that has shown that these players capable of swinging this fast can translate that into lower scores. Yeah. Well, well, I think the big reason is the, what we see, I mean, you see it when you work with the robot, the faster you swing, the less margin for error you have. Even, and, even you with know, the robot. The, I mean, look, look at what Bryson complained about for so long. You know, he wanted to hit a specific shot shape and Cobra, you know, they tried to give him the driver, but it's like at, at the end of the day, the phys- physics come into play in engineering and you just simply can't design a driver the way that he wants it. Now, I mean, he says the crank driver that he's using gives him the, the bulge and roll properties that he wasn't able to get from the Cobra driver. And that's why he's now winning out on live. But, you know, Cobra's got a lot of smart guys. We talked about Tom Olsovsky over at Cobra. I mean, it's not like they've got a, a bunch of potatoes over there trying to, to, you know, design clubs. So, it is very difficult the faster you get, and and you're right. It's, nobody's been able to do that yet. Not even Bryson. You know, Bryson had was thinking at one point about using 48, and he walked that idea back because he just didn't feel like there was a benefit to using a driver that long at, at a course like Augusta. So there's there's a really fine line there between, and I think Bryson even said that you know he was walking a razor thin line between consistency and stability and you know, it's, it's tough. Nobody's been able to, to find that perfect recipe yet. And honestly, I don't really think they will. I think the faster you swing, the, the more wild the shots get, the further you get off a geometric, geometric center. Well, you know, it's interesting your point. So, uh, the robot has limitations and it's the, this is crazy. It's the limitation of the speed of electricity and it's at three (laughs) milliseconds. And I know all this is a little geeky, but it's really fast. Right. And, and simply the electricity sending from the servo motor to the computer, to the amplifier that powers it and back it's limited. So at 95 miles an hour, we can drop balls with a driver plus or minus about two to three yards off of a center line. When we get up to 130 miles an hour, it's plus or minus 15 to 20 yards, just to give you an idea. And that is with the robot swinging almost theoretically exactly the same way. But you, you have limitations as far as a robot. Then any sort of imperfections, uh, what, what's commonly referred to as manufacturing tolerances, meaning a golf ball isn't perfect if you place it down on the tee every single time and you start getting deviation patterns, all of those get exaggerated pretty dramatically. So, uh, you know, once again, this is a robot swinging perfectly and it's plus or minus 15 to 20 yards is acceptable as far as what we consider a straight shot at those speeds. You go even higher, it gets even more. So I, I, I think the same thing applies to humans, you know, even more so. All right. If if I can add my two cents there, I mean, just Go from a, a fitter and coaching background, it's, I mean, there's also a different generation of golfer that we see coming up and talking to a lot of the D1 coaches and the collegiate players. There's, there's kind of a, a unspoken threshold that these players are coming up with the anticipation by the, the higher level coaches that unless they are just a phenom, like they don't get looked at unless they're pushing that 180 plus mile an hour ball speed. 
So you have kids being raised with instructors and time in the gym and trainers and basically building their golf game around perfect numbers on a launch monitor and working with coaches of you know various capabilities. And I mean, I, I think that that is the direction that uh, the game is essentially going. It's, it's speed, speed, speed. And these kids that are coming up, I mean, the sequencing is good. The timing is good. The ball striking is good. And the speed is there. Oh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere but that direction as we continue kind of down this path of speed is king. Oh, that's, I mean, do we make an 8,000 yard golf course? I don't know, maybe, but by no means do I think anybody's going to get any slower. And the manufacturers of both golf ball and club and shaft are essentially going to have to keep up with this new era of player that's emerging from the, uh, the junior and collegiate ranks. So let me ask you this question, Chris. Are you seeing lower scores, though, overall? That, that's, so, that's my big canary in the coal mine, right? I mean, you know, if, if, sure. if all of a sudden it was like 10-unders winning, say, a collegiate tournament, and now it's 18-under or something like that, that's, that's, that's an alarm bell. But are you seeing that, you know, from a junior and collegiate standpoint, they're playing on the same length golf courses. Are they dominating those golf courses now? I think you're seeing those types of scores be shot by younger and younger players. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if you would necessarily say, okay, 10, 15 years ago or so, the, the collegiate uh, average winning score was eight under, and now it's mm-hmm. 10 or 12 under. I, I think you're seeing younger and younger players be able to post those types of scores more consistently. So that's where I think if I've got a 14-year-old uh, high school student that comes to see me and he's swinging in at PGA Tour average 113, 114 miles an hour, he's not getting any slower as he transitions into the collegiate ranks. And, I mean, by that time, as he gets faster, obviously you would think that his skill level continues to improve. I think we're kind of right on the bubble of seeing that athlete combined with the speed and I mean the technical skill to produce lower scores I mean kind of like we saw the shift when you know we had the John Daly's of the world on the PGA Tour and then all of a sudden you know here you've got Tiger Woods that's built like an athlete coming out and just starting to dominate and now you've got Kyle Berkshire and Bryson and the kids that are up and coming are watching this speed and they're emulating that and I can relate it to you know, my background with, with bowling. And yes. when I was coming up, yeah, I, I, I'm going to transition this. Let's do if, it. If we look at how I grew up and bowling with, with Pete Weber as the, the big star on the PBA tour, and now I look at a lot of the juniors that are coming up, and Belmo is a big inspiration. You have these two-handed bowlers. And when I was younger and coming up through high school and collegiate bowling, like nobody bowled two-handed. And now you look out on the PBA tour and in the collegiate circuit and the, the high school students and all of these competitive events are being essentially dominated by two-handed players. And 15 plus years ago, you didn't see anybody doing that. And then there's somebody that comes out and has a great deal of success doing something different and now the majority of the younger players emulate that. So I see speed being the same thing. 
it, it's happening everywhere. I mean, it's not just happening in in bowling. I don't know if you if you all saw that uh, Kipchoge's record for the marathon was broken. Somebody somebody went uh, just around two hours, and uh, you know it, we're we're seeing we're seeing people get faster and smarter and the way that they train, the way that their, their nutrition, their sleep habits, like we've talked about it here, the golfers from the nineties, the guys that we saw who were going out and drinking beers and then waking up the next morning and shooting 66, like that doesn't happen anymore. So it's, it's completely changed the game in, in every sport and you have to either evolve or perish. And, and I think that's what we're seeing in golf is it's, you got to get faster or you're going to get left behind eventually. Yeah. I mean, um, you can, through training and fitting and everything, you can optimize everything. And that's what these kids are growing up with. Everything is optimized. You train the right way. Yeah. Well, I, I'd almost make the argument, you know, if you, if you really want to roll the game back, outlaw launch monitors, you know, so that they... <laughs> <laughs> There we go. They can't figure out what optimal is, you know, because I mean, that's, that's part of it as well, right? You know, go back to, go back to visual ball flight as your guide and uh, man, you'll have a lot of guys hitting it 15, 20 yards shorter. So I just like to add a disclaimer for our friends at Foresight that uh, Gene didn't mean that. He's, he's, <laughs> I really didn't mean that. I love he launch monitors. He without, hey, without launch monitors, I'd be blind. But you know, too many Guinness point, over over on his trip. No, nah, no, it's more whiskey and gin and tonics. But anyways, <laughs> that's another story. Um, uh, it, it, it it's launch monitors have re- and you know here's my plug for launch monitors for amateurs. If you haven't been on one, get on one because you're going to find out how inefficient you really are and what your potential is. And trust me, all the tour players know this because they live and die by them. But that is what has really pushed distance increase is, um, yes, speed is important, but I have this test that I do, um, where I test at 95 and 105, same driver. Um, I hit at 95, kind of optimal upper third, positive attack angle at uh, 105, hit lower on the club face. Still, Both are straight shots, but more of a negative attack angle. But 10 mile an hour difference in club head speed, um, about a 15 mile an hour difference in ball speed, uh, the 95 mile an hour driver is five yards longer than the 105 mile an hour driver. So the point being you can swing faster, but if you swing faster and are more inefficient, uh, you can actually be shorter and that both of them optimized. It should be between 20 and 25 yards, the 105 longer than the 95. The point being, if you do not optimize with a launch monitor speed in and of itself, doesn't necessarily mean much. All right. Before we get to the next topic, I want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Pride and their extensive selection of grips. Go check them out, golfpride.com. You can find the CPX that we've talked about. If you'd like something that's a bit softer, the MCC, which is one of the most popular grips out on tour, used by a bunch of big names, including John Rahm, 
and Rory McIlroy. There's the MCC plus four if you like that a uh, little bit of a bigger feel down the lower portion of the hand. You've got the Tour Velvet Align. I use the Tour Velvet, love it, but the Align gives you that little bit of uh, the way to just know where your hands are supposed to be placed on the grip. So go check out their line. In addition to having club grips, they've also uh, got an extensive array of putter grips as well. And by the way, if you're going to go pick up some grips, do it through through a website and use promo code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D for free shipping on your next order. All right. So one of the things that I noticed last week when Luke List, for those that that we're watching the Sanderson. Sanderson has one of the greatest trophies in the world. Do you guys know what the trophy is? I don't. No. It's a giant. It's a giant rooster. Love that. <laughs> Just a giant rooster on a pedestal. I think it's amazing. Uh, anyway, Luke List was your winner last week. He came out on top in a five-man playoff. There were some good wow. names in there. Ludwig Aberg, who's just fresh off playing at a Ryder Cup. He ends up making the playoff, but it's List who wins with a 43-foot birdie putt on the first playoff hole. And, you know, we're at the time of the year where I don't think anybody's really paying attention to PGA Tour winners. And I don't even think the PGA... It, we, another story for another day, but I don't even know how much the PGA Tour really cares about the fall portion of the season. I mean, they've gotten rid of the the wraparound uh, points for this portion of the year aren't counting towards the FedEx Cup. That's they're going to wait until January. It's just for priority for the big events. But the one thing that stood out to me when I looked at Luke List's gear and what he was wearing on his head is Luke List is a PXG staffer. Okay, he wears a PXG hat, but if you go in his bag, he's only using PXG irons, and it you know he's considered to be a staffer. But it got me. It got me wondering, like, how many other guys on staff are are just using? In Luke's case, he's in the O three eleven ST Gen three irons, very traditional for PXG blade. And so I started looking around, and other than Eric Cole, a lot of the guys on the PXG staff just have the irons and the wedges in the bag on on the PXG website. And it's interesting because we've talked about how manufacturers have really gone away from the piecemeal, especially the big OEMs. I know Gene finds this very fascinating as he's yawning as I'm, as I'm talking here. What, a, what an asshole. But, jet, jet, jet yeah, whatever. I don't, want to, I don't Sorry, want to hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was a anyway, long flight home. Maybe it's just me, but I find this I find this interesting. You know, he's he's getting compensated for the hat, which we all know is is the like most expensive piece of signage on a PJ on a PJ Tour Pro. But he's just using the irons. I, I mean, maybe I expected more guys to be using the drivers out on the PGA Tour, but it seems like PXG is is trying to to corner the market with signing guys to just what feels like iron or iron and wedge only deals. I mean, I would say historically, from a performance standpoint, from what we see in kind of this brand agnostic environment that we have at TrueSpec. <clears throat> is the performance capabilities and I guess trends and tendencies from the PXG drivers is they have a tendency to be a little bit on the higher spin side. So as we've talked about uh, a lot on the pod is the trend for PGA Tour players because of the speed, the dynamics, the consistency that they have, the majority of those players are lower launch, lower spin. So they're trying to scrub 
what it is that uh, the PXG drivers have a tendency to do naturally. Now, coincidentally, whether or not, uh, you know, tinfoil hat moment here, uh, Bob Parsons tests all of the products prior to them going live and available for retail. And if they don't pass his, uh, his form of player testing, then uh, engineers go back to the drawing board. And so if you look at Bob and potentially his game, I mean, having never seen him swing a golf club in person, I can only assume that he's going to fall into the, the category of, uh, like the majority of us on the weekend warrior side, not necessarily swinging it at PGA Tour speeds, he is most definitely the... not. I can tell you that from having played golf with him. <laughs> he's got a real he's got a really interesting swing. It's yeah. it's um it's not like Jim Furyk esque, but it kind of has a a very unique path to it. To get but to am impact. I safe to assume that you are very safe somebody to that yes. uh, no, you're, would you're benefit not... from yeah. a little higher 100%. launch, a little higher spin? Hundred percent. Yes. So if we're looking at the products designed for the benefit of a tour player versus those of us in the amateur ranks. I mean, I would say that if Bob is doing some of the testing and it has to pass his seal of approval, eh, the likelihood of a PGA Tour player aligning with what Bob likes, probably not so good. Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, there's always been kind of that, I would say, avoidance of faster, stronger, more accomplished players fitting into that uh, that PXG wood. Uh, but the irons and the wedges and the hybrids, uh, totally different story. All of those products, really, really solid year over year. They just haven't quite found that driver that the tour players and the faster, higher launch, higher spin players really, really like. I mean, Gene's tested the, the PXG stuff, and we've done it for club test. At 95, PXG drivers are awesome. I yeah, mean, 100%. Their stuff, their stuff performs really well at those average swing speeds. So you bring up a good point. Like maybe it's for a lot of people that that would see that if they went to PXG's website, they might say, well, you know, the driver's not good. But I think you might be onto something, Chris, which is the drivers are really good. Like we saw in, in robotic, they're they're very stable. They, yeah. they good distance for, for PXG drivers with the average swing speeds for, uh, for weekend golfers. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to try and do some new things for the upcoming edition of club test. Maybe, maybe some different lofts or some other fun wrinkles, but I, I would be, I would be curious to see what would happen if you started to crank up these, these drivers to, to the higher swing speeds. That's if uh, to your point, the stability, playability, and that kind of speed threshold, that mid upper nineties, low hundreds. I mean, I put a PXG in the mix pretty much every time I'm testing that type of player category, and they win a lot of gunfights. I mean, they win yeah. a lot of the time. But once you get above that 105, 110, they just spend too much for that particular type of player. Yeah. All right. Couple other things that caught my eye this week. And again, as I always say, this time of the year, it, it's quiet season. Everybody's ramping up for, for the launch, the launch season in January, but there is, there's still some launches going on around this time of the year. Ping is releasing, and this thing's going to go so fast as you're listening to the podcast on a Wednesday when it's being deployed, cause we're doing this a day early to, uh, meet, jeans we're on 
parenti standard time. The the ping putters that I'm about to mention. Hey, I'm not asking you yeah. to call me the voice Wait. of reason. So yeah. you know, I'm, I'm showing some restraint. Oh, Come on, give me something. Uh, so by the time this pod deploys, the, all these putters are going to be gone. They're going to be gone in a matter of moments. But Ping announced that they are releasing a Hovi PLD signature putter. And this thing, have you guys seen pictures of this? I know Gene hasn't because he's he's still jet lagged, but Chris, you've seen him. This thing looks awesome, and I'm I'm not talking about the putter head because the putter head is one that we've seen a lot recently. It is an identical replica of Victor Hovland's putter, his Ping PLD DS72 mallet, and they they did add uh, in the bottom on the sole Hovi which is his nickname. And then it's serialized. There's only a hundred of these. So it, you know, if you are lucky enough to buy one, it's one through a hundred. And these are big surprise, not cheap. Gene, what do you think? If, if Ping was going to release a Victor Hovland signature putter to the masses, 100 of these, what would you price it at? I just want to, I just want to see how close you are. 750 bucks. I don't know. Kids, I mean, you're pretty close. It's nine hundred ninety dollars. Okay, so just I mean, it's, it's it's whatever the market will bear, and I mean, so you know, uh, the 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 one thing that I love about this pod, and it, it, to anybody over the age of fifty, watch what the youngins are doing. And since I'm the old man in this, it's like you know, I I never even knew that customized head covers were a thing. And Chris has shown me that <laughs> it most definitely has a market. There's a, there's a huge industry and it's, and it's like, just Chris. Yeah. And it's just Chris supporting it, but it's, but it's just like, wow. Now who was the visionary who saw that and went, you know, so I mean, would I spend $900 for a customized Victor Hovland putter shoot me in the head first. I mean, there's no chance, but you know, Tell but me how maybe, you really feel Gene. No, no. But, but at the same time, man, tip of the hat for capitalism on that, that if there's a hundred people that are going to line oh, up these and things spend are gonna, that, these things are going to fly. I had, I had yeah, multiple they're people gonna reach out to gone. me. I had a chance when I was at ping uh, about three weeks ago or so, they showed me, they, one of the heads, actually the head that they used to shoot all of their marketing for, for this release. And this thing looks sweet. And again, it's the same putter and people would probably roll their eyes and say, well, it's not the same putter. Well, it, it is. It actually is identical. It's the same weight, the the same finish, has the same length to it. They even use the same 15 inch wind grip that Hovland has on his putter. I mean, it is it is an identical replica. They're all milled, fully milled at ping headquarters and based on the interest people were like man i'm ready to buy one of these right now so they're they are going to go fast i the for me the most interesting thing is to see how much they resale for on the secondary market that's going to be two grand within a matter of minutes i'm thinking i'm thinking it's probably going to be double so yeah i agree with you chris it's probably going to be about two g's but is somebody going to actually pay two g's for victor hovland putter yep Yep, I think so too. It and this is this is I, I've been banging the drum for this, but more manufacturers should be doing exactly what Ping's doing. If you have a guy that's had a big year, 
whatever club in the bag has been the hot club, you should make a like built to spec replica version and you should sell it. And I guarantee you that if you, if you sell a hundred of them, Nike used to do this with the Rory putter and the tiger driver, exact replicas of both. They went, they sold in a matter of seconds. They were sold out. I, I think there is a market for this and there's not a lot of overhead. You could sell it for a grand. People are going to buy it. We, we've seen it. Golf equipment's never been hotter. There, there is a market to capitalize and make a nice little tidy profit. I mean, we saw it with Jailbird, right? Yeah, we I did. I mean, that, that thing came full circle. Couldn't give them away all of a sudden. Little success on tour with a couple of players and you can't keep them in stock. And so Odyssey went, oh, hey, look at this. Now there's interest in something we couldn't give away. And now they're selling it for, you know, 3X, the original release price. Yep. So in addition to the Hovland putter, the other big news coming out of the gear space this week is from TaylorMade. And we've seen TaylorMade do collaborations with, uh, with athletes, with shoe companies they they did a collaboration with g4 they've got their deal with barstool and the four play guys and uh kith which is you know i'm sure not a lot of people know kith out there but it's it's going to be more for like the apparel side of things but they're always trying to to come up with something fresh and again like gene was mentioning a lot of this is probably not in his wheelhouse but this one is an interesting I'm you were you were working on. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep you hip, Gene. This Thank you. The, the most recent collaboration collaboration that they announced. You guys are still listening to the Rolling Stones, so I got my hipness card. All there right. Go. So. There, that's, I can't. I can't lie there. <laughs> uh, they're they're doing a collaboration with Red Bull Racing. This one's kind of cool, guys. You know i i see the, I see the writing on the wall here, I, like Formula One. In terms of popularity, it's never been higher in the U.S. right now. Take the, it over Vegas. Oh my gosh! It, I mean, literally, they're they're redoing Vegas for this damn race. They're going to be racing uh, next. I guess what is it? Is it this weekend or next weekend? It's in November. No, they're racing in Austin. Oh, oh, it's, the, the, the Vegas next week. ones in it's November. I think. Yeah, the November. The U.S. Grand Prix is at the Circuit of the Americas, which is in the middle of nowhere. As you're trying to, as you're driving to Austin, and as a as a Texan, I can attest to this. It's in the middle of nowhere, although it's getting built up a bit more now. But they're going to release a Speedcraft collection where they're going to have custom Stealth Two drivers and a custom Spider GTX putter that are going to have the Red Bull racing colors and the Red Bull, the Oracle Red Bull Racing logo. And then they're also going to have, I'm more interested to see the the TP5X PIX golf balls because they're coming out with some PIX golf balls in addition for this collection, plus a whole bunch of apparel. I mean, this is this is just TaylorMade doing what TaylorMade does, which is they're just trying to capitalize on the popularity of TaylorMade product, pairing it with a uber popular sport and the at, at the current time, the most popular and successful racing team in F1. I mean, Verstappen just won his third straight F1 title last week. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting pairing because it's it's combining F1 and golf, which you wouldn't think that there would be a lot of crossover there. But 
you know, it, there are some, some similarities. They use carbon in F1 to build the, the chassis for these, for these cars. They're now using carbon in the faces. I know some people will say that's a little bit of a stretch, but Hey, they are using similar materials. A whole lot of guys on the, the F1 circuit, a lot of the drivers love golf. Although I don't know for Stappen plays, but it is, it is an interesting collaboration. I'm sure it's going to go fast like a lot of these do. And the chance to get some Red Bull tailor-made gear, I'm, I'm sure that stuff's going to sell quickly. Hey, I'm going to prove that I actually li- follow our social media channels because um, I was looking at the Twitter feed for Fully Equipped. And I got to say, I found it really cool the tailor-made dia de los muertos golf balls uh that was pretty awesome too yeah so what's the story behind those what what are the uh, did they just randomly come up with those as a limited edition well they i mean they try to come up with with product around different holidays or or different events and this was one of them that they just decided to to capitalize on. I, I said it. It's the the head cover. We posted it on the social channels. It is absolutely amazing, and I think you should go check it out. It's just a giant skull on the front of this head cover, and then they did the same thing with the golf balls, where you've got the skull, but inside the the eyes on the skull is the TaylorMade logo. Just a little little cool additions to the gear. But yeah, again, it's just trying to come out with this limited edition stuff that people love, similar to the Victor Hovland putter. It's it's There's not a lot of it, but if you are interested in it and you love to collect that stuff like somebody else on this podcast does <laughs> when it comes to head covers, then you generally scoop it up pretty quickly. Yeah, or 10. Anyway, all right. So with that, it's been a minute since we've done the fully equipped hotline, which is a disappointment, but we've been running around the last couple of weeks. It was the Parker McLaughlin interview. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, go back and listen to it. We also had the uh, CEO and co-founder of Arcos, Sal Syed, on the pod last week. So we got to get back to the fully equipped hotline this week. If you don't, send us voicemails, but you want to, you can call us at 602-935-4974. That's 602-935-4974. Leave us a quick, try to keep it under a minute if you can, voicemail, rant, rave, take, whatever you want to do on gear specifically. But I guess if you want to rant and rave about anything, uh, maybe we'll play it. It all depends on uh, how coach is feeling. But that is the Fully Equipped Hotline. And with that tee up, Coach, let's get... All right. So I, uh, I sorted these a couple of weeks ago. So all I have is the, the really short names that I named each file to go off of. This one is titled Reality Check. I can only imagine where it's going. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hi, this is Brian from Michigan. And I am calling with a comment, maybe a do-better comment. I've heard in the last couple of weeks, the average golfer drives the ball 260. The average golf, golfer drives the ball 240. But when I look at USGA average handicap, it's around a 14 for men. And when I look at driver data for men between 13 and 20 handicap, I see that it's around 205. 
So can we please have some reality when we're discussing equipment in the podcast? I'm over 50 and I can't touch those numbers anymore. I can touch the averages, which makes me happy. But let's have some reality if we could. Thanks. All right. It's calling Amen. us out a little bit. Thoughts? I, I agree. I, and I, I think that, um, I think more importantly, I think we should uh, separate, I think, you know, talk about bifurcation. I think we should separate country club golfers from uh, public golfers. And, and the reason that I say that is when you go to private courses, you find more resources, more um, teaching. They they have a tendency of having kind of the, the better benefits of the game than the public courses where it's more recreation and, dare I say, less of a lifestyle. And I know this; these are broad generalizations, because but you look at and see performance on the private side, and I, I just have a tendency of seeing better players playing on the private side than I do on the, on the public side. And I think for public golfers, and I'm one of them, um, there are a lot of players that, that don't hit the ball very far and are of higher handicaps. And, you know, the other thing is the majority of golfers don't have a handicap. That's the other thing. So the data that you're looking at is self-selecting in and of itself. It's, it's serious players that are, that are contributing to the handicap. So I, I would agree with the caller that it's even more biased towards shorter and higher handicap because the players that don't have handicaps more than likely are going to be on the higher side and the shorter side. Let me, let me pose a question here. And this one is more for, for Chris. What would that average be? He's mentioning 205. What would that average be if every golfer in that handicap range got fit for their driver? Though, what what would the driver? What would the average driving distance be? If you if you custom fit everybody, like how much higher would it be? Because I'm I'm guessing it wouldn't be 205. I'm I'm assuming it would be a lot higher than that. I don't. I, mean, I just I think that like ill-fitting drivers are probably leading are a leading cause. Like yes, dri- you know, club head speed is going down, but I think that there there are definitely ways to optimize driver distance. You shouldn't just think, well, I'm an over 50 golfer and I hit it you know, 205, that's the best I can do. I think there are certainly ways that you can add more distance to your game without having to make wholesale changes to your swing. I mean, I can use my stepdad as a, as a firsthand account. I mean, he, he didn't start playing golf until he was in his fifties. He just recently retired. He's 66 years old and he has a club head speed that hangs out eh, I would say mid nineties, if I'm being realistic, I mean, he's six foot three and fairly athletic for his age. So, I mean, he's a bigger guy, but with the driver that he was playing that he had just picked up off the rack in St. Louis and he was spinning it over 4,000 RPMs and we were seeing a lot of movement left to right and essentially just creating a ball flight that wasn't rewarding him when he would hit it solid. So when he came down to visit me here in Arizona, we brought him into true spec. We went ahead, we went and did a a full custom fitting. And this is a player that up until recently when he retired, he was playing golf on the weekends, you know, essentially maybe once a month, 
twice a month if he was lucky. Uh, and being in the Midwest, he had a short season. So, I mean, long story short, going through this process, two weeks, two weeks after he had received his clubs, played one round, shot 88 with his new set of clubs, calls me and tells me that he has never hit the drive or never hit the driver as consistently as he did with the new driver that we built for him. We completely changed everything about the head dynamics, the shaft, the weight, the bend profile, the loft he was playing. And now, no bullshit, the second round that he went and played, so he shoots 88, second round that he went to play with this new set of sticks that we built for him, shoots 78. Career low round. He had not shot anything below low 90s prior to being fit. So, I mean, this is a player that is, I mean, just a poster child for the benefits that you can see. And, I mean, he has an Arco system and tracks all of his distance, is an absolute analytical freak. And he was averaging with his old driver right around that 205 to 207 with a ton of spin and a lot of movement left to right dispersion downrange, dropping a lot of shots off the tee with penalties. And now new driver, he's hitting it almost 240 for an average distance. And that's just from optimizing. Hasn't changed anything with who he is. Still doesn't take lessons. He goes and hits you know, 10 or 15 balls before he goes to the first tee. So hasn't started practicing more. Just being optimized for finding equipment that responds to how it is he swings. I mean, I, I love hearing stories like that. And I'm not trying to say that that – Yes, we we need to be talking more about the golfer that's swinging in that you know slower swing speed range. Two hundred five is is average. I, I don't think two sixty is or two forty even. I would agree. It just depends on the golfer you're talking about, and maybe we need to be more clear about the golfer that because I I do agree with what Gene said. I think that there is there is a difference between the the public course golfer and the the private course golfer. In terms of in terms of distance, there's a lot of different things that you could look at. I mean, just as far as internally analyzing players. I mean, the players that I see here in Arizona versus the players I see when I'm in New York versus Chicago versus Boston versus I mean, you go to any major city versus that has a short season versus a place like Arizona where you can play essentially all year. And I mean, the demographics are totally different. Yeah. For sure. All right. That's my way of saying you're right. You called us out. We need to do better. And we need to talk about the average driver distance, which is probably closer to 200 yards. So, and since uh, RB's not here, it's all his fault. I mean, he's a dick. I apologize on behalf (laughs) of RB. (laughs) RB is in Vegas right now. I didn't even mention that. I did. He sent me a couple of notes, and I'll get to those at the end of of the hotline because there were a couple of interesting ops, a couple of interesting observations from him from the Shriners event. But anyway, Coach, yep, let's got, get on to the next voicemail. Yeah, we got one more, and I think we're going from a gentleman calling out us to a gentleman calling out simulators. Hey guys, love the show, Brad Cook, Dallas, Texas. Uh, question. It was a, it's, this is a follow up to the elder one question that I just heard. 
I'm fit for X flex throughout the bag, but have you ever tested something that's in senior flex that ended up just working out really well for you on a simulator, uh, just messing around at a, at a big box store, but then you took it to the golf course and there's not a chance in the world that that would ever work, work for you. So I guess the main question is sometimes can you get bad data? from a golf simulator. Thanks so much. That's a great question. And Chris is already nodding his head, so I'm going to cede all of my time to Chris. <laughs> I I can say 100%. So, I mean, the, the environment in which you test, uh, unless you have somebody that is a experienced fitter or coach there kind of walking you through the data, also kind of explaining why you're seeing certain things versus what you would potentially see on the golf course. So there's a couple of different things that could potentially be going on. I mean, obviously, number one, when we're in a controlled environment like a studio or a simulator, and there's no real penalty per se for what it is that we are hitting into swinging towards, uh, I will see player swing dynamics change a little bit compared to what it is that they will do out on a golf course. And then there's a, a population of players out there that their dynamics change almost completely when they get into an indoor environment or compared to how it is that they play on a golf course. Um, and if you want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, there is a, an, an interesting phenomenon out there called parallax distortion. So essentially if you Gene just perked up, he said, Ooh, Ooh, parallax distortion. Yeah, he, he wants to hear about this. So uh, essentially, when you have uh, a player that subconsciously starts to change their alignment to accommodate uh, things that are happening in their environment, that can change alignment, that can change stance and setup and ball position. And it's all subconscious. I mean, the majority of players aren't even aware that they're doing it. So there are several variables to take into account. So perfect world scenario, if you get fit indoors, take it, test it outdoors, or vice versa, if you get fit outdoors, test it indoors, make sure that it's optimized for what it is that you're attempting to, to do objectively. But it, yeah, I would say 100%, there is several cases that uh, you can get fit indoors and test something in an indoor environment and then you take it outside and it just doesn't work. And you can even attribute that a lot to manufacturing. You can have a great build, or I'm sorry, I should say, you can have a great fitting and how it is that you build that golf club can be different than what it is that you tested and therefore performance can be compromised. So there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So have I seen that? Every day. There you go. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week's fully equipped hotline. Again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, make sure you do it at the phone number 602-935-4974. We're going to wrap up the pod, but as I mentioned, RB is in Vegas at the Shriners and had a couple of interesting observations. So one, he spoke to Ping about their new Blueprint S irons. And these are the irons that uh, Saif Vagala used to to win. His first, actually, was his first event with the irons, and he won in Napa with them. Uh, RB talked to Ping, and they said that so far, the Blueprint S, from a, from a tour perspective, 
it is one of, if not the fastest conversion that they've seen for an iron ever. Yeah. So I think that's really good news if, you know, again, I don't like to use the the tour as the, the barometer for the average golfer, but if those guys are converting their irons that quickly to the Blueprint S, I think that's a good sign. I'm not saying the Blueprint S wasn't going to be a good iron, but, you know, Ping has a has a lot of good irons currently out there. And I know a lot of people are excited for the, the Blueprint S and the Blueprint T when they do eventually make their way to retail. But the fact that the Tour Pros are loving it so much and that it's going in the bag so quickly, I think is a really good sign. A um, couple other things that he noticed, Callaway has a new prototype wedge. And I, I know John Rahm has one. And it sounds like a couple other guys do as well. So that's going to be coming out eventually. I'm, I'm going to guess probably in January. We'll see a new wedge from Callaway. The other one that I am extremely excited about is a putter that we've talked about on the podcast here recently. That would be the new Odyssey AI1. Go check out the fully equipped social feeds. We're going to have some photos, some close-up photos of the new AI one putter. It it's a little bit different than I was thinking. You know, I thought that this was going to be an odyssey putter with some new weighting down in the sole, which is definitely there, but the insert is, is different. It's not a white hot insert. It's it, maybe it is in, in some part of the recipe, but there are some very faint lines that you couldn't see in the, the initial photos of Rom's putter going across the face. Um, we've seen some putters with, with these, with these lines, they're all, they're all horizontal. They're all horizontal lines. And it makes me wonder if there's something going on. Is there a variable face thickness story behind this? If AI is involved, you would have to think so because with the drivers that Callaways are released with the irons that they have with some of the faces, variable thickness and trying to optimize the faces for the drivers and the irons, you would think they're probably doing the same thing with the, with the putters as well. So definitely something going on there and one to watch it's, I mean, Rom was, was lights out with that putter at the Ryder cup. So I think it's certainly one that people are going to be excited about when it does make its way to retail. And with that, we'll get RB back next week when he joins the pod for episode 212. That would mean that this is the end of episode 211 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want more gear news, check us out on social channels. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as all for listening. See you next time.